Hi, everyone. First off, we at The Familiar Strange want to acknowledge and celebrate the first Australians whose lands we are producing this podcast and pay our respects to the elders of the Ngunnawal and Ngambri people, past, present, and emerging. Let's go. Hello, and welcome to The Familiar Strange. I'm Sean Heath, your familiar stranger for today, and I'm joined by Noel B. Salazar. Before we dive into today's interview, did you know we have an ongoing Editor's Forum blog section about popular culture depictions of anthropologists, where you, yes you, can contribute. Write to us at submissions at thefamiliarstrange.com and provide some valuable insight on anthropologists' perceived and real roles in the world. So, Noel B. Salazar is professor in social and cultural anthropology and founder of the Cultural Mobilities Research QMORI cluster at Cayo Leuven. His research interests include anthropologies of mobility and travel, heritage and tourism, discourses and imaginaries of otherness, world anthropologies, and endurance locomotion. He has contributed to academic citizenship as a member of the Executive Committee of the International Council for Philosophy and Human Sciences, and has served as past Secretary General of the International Union of Anthropological and Ethnological Sciences, past President of the European Association of Social Anthropologists, and is founder of the Anthromob, the EASA, European Association of Social Anthropologists, Anthropology and Mobilities Network. He also sits on the steering committee of the Kaiuluva Institute of Cultural Heritage and UNA Europa Cultural Heritage. He's an official consultant for UNESCO, UNWTO, and the EU, and serves as an expert member for the European Parliamentary Committee on Transport and Tourism. Amongst his research projects, he is also a prolific publisher, working as editor for the Worlds in Motion book series, and is author of Momentous Mobilities and Envisioning Eden. It's my pleasure today to speak with Noel about some of his recent mobilities research, and the main topic for today, our conversation on Anthropology Days. Noel, welcome to The Familiar Strange. Thank you for having me. Fantastic. So as it's today, we're recording this in advance of Anthropology Day, or what uh, the AAA is calling Anthropology Day. Um, and we're going to get down to that discussion, but we figured it's at least one of the many Anthropology Days uh, out there in the world. And we wanted to bring to you a discussion about anthropology and Anthropology Day, what it means to you, how it's presented, how it's shown, and uh, how it's developed in maybe different, different countries and different settings around the world. So, Noel, I guess first off, it's Anthropology Day of the AAA coming up on, in February, right? Exactly. Yeah, it's the, the third Thursday in every, uh, in every cycle of every year on, on in, in February. Yes, and actually if you look at the history of anthropology, and we could debate on when anthropology started, but anthropology as a scientific discipline emerging in the 19th century, then the idea, of course, of Anthropology Day is a rather new one. And we have many different days. Actually, if you if you go to Wikipedia and you you look at the, the different days that exist, you will you will see that every single day of the year is a day of something. 
and at least of, of one thing, but uh, oftentimes of many different things. And there are two different systems. There's, a, there's days that have a fixed date or there's, there's days that uh, are on the, thurs, uh, the third uh, Sunday of, of a particular month. Uh, but so these days are apparently are important and it's, it serves as a way to uh, bring to the attention of people uh, a certain something that we find important. And so the, the reason that uh, anthropologists also uh, have uh, created an anthropology day is actually uh, to make anthropology and anthropological thinking, uh, theory and practice uh, known to non-anthropologists. Non uh, so it's not only a celebration for people who are in anthropology, but it's most of all also to share uh, the knowledge and share maybe the joy also that we get out of doing practicing anthropology and sharing the knowledge that we have. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Anthropology day is, is the biggest outreach program mm -hmm. we potentially have, I guess, as, as academics within anthropology and, and anthropological ways of thinking. That would be uh, true, maybe apart from uh, this podcast and maybe other podcasts, but uh, yeah, it's one of, it's one of mm -hmm. the, uh, the, the only things that is really um, on a sustained basis is, is, uh, forcing us also to to reach out and think of uh, the most efficient ways of actually doing that. Yes, and the AAA has, like I said, decided to do this on the third Thursday of every February. Uh, and initially it was called Global Anthropology Day um, from the research that I've been able to find out. And it came around in about 2015, 2016 with a, a push by the membership to have more of an outreach, to have... Um, People know a little bit more in the public consciousness what anthropology does, what anthropology can bring to, to policy, uh, and how we can particularly affect, say, educational context. So uh, K-12 to is a, is a big space where uh, anthropology isn't discussed. We might have political science, we might have geography, uh, maybe a little philosophy, but the anthropology doesn't factor into usually these, these K-12 to programs. So that's a, that's a big, I think, push. Um, at least for, for the AAA in the North American context. But what I found here in, in Europe is EASA actually has its own Anthropology Day, but it's not in February. It's sometime in September is, uh, is what I've been able to find. And then as well, there's the Dutch Anthropology Day. So in the Netherlands, they celebrate sort of a, a national Anthropology Day. Uh, and it seems to be sometime in May, and you can find that on the uh, the Dutch Anthropological Association, uh, ABV. They have sort of an annual conference around it where they bring together all the anthropologists and sort of like, I guess, maybe a, a AAA-type uh, annual conference, but particularly for, for a national national setting. And I find that, that, that quite interesting to have not only national, but sort of international and larger region and almost a, well, maybe there isn't a global anthropology day. Well, what this actually shows is, of course, and this is very interesting to analyze, and this is what we anthropologists do, we also analyze our own discipline, is, is it kind of shows how disciplines and how anthropology in this case is, is organized. And then you, you see that, of course, uh, you have these different levels that are of importance, and it's very clear that the national level is, is uh, to a certain extent, uh, quite, quite dominant. And that's why a lot of these days, anthropology days, actually are organized nationally or at least have a national uh, basis where it all started. Maybe then it became something bigger, but it all starts from basically this national basis. That's, yeah, that's, that's really interesting to go from that, that local, that national base um, outwards. But maybe 
are we not shooting ourselves in the foot a little bit by not having a, a global anthropology day by instead celebrating these individual anthropology days? Good, good question. And, and then of course the question would uh, be what, what global anthropology is, what it would look like. And this is a question that uh, anthropologists have been posing. And this is also why we have uh, concepts like world anthropologies in right. plural, uh, to actually acknowledge that uh, or question the fact that even if uh, sometimes we have the impression that there is a canon and there is a dominant way of thinking in anthropology, uh, that there are actually many different traditions. Uh, and some of, of the people have kind of linked these traditions with uh, countries. And so again, bringing it back to the national, uh, but other anthropologists would, would say that that's methodological nationalism and it's not necessarily right. along country lines. Uh, but there are different ways of, of practicing anthropology. But of course, you could, you could also have a celebration of these differences by organizing something like a global anthropology day. Um, and now what was interesting in, in the history of, of the American Anthropological Association when they launched uh, this idea of an, of an anthropology day, that in the first instance, they, they launched it as a global anthropology day. And the reason why they did that is, is not all that strange. Uh, if you look at the world and you look at the number of anthropologists, then uh, the largest quantity of anthropologists are in North America. True. And so, of course, it makes sense uh, that uh, looking at these numbers, uh, the kind of idea and also the, the, the importance of these outreach events starts from, from a place where there are lots of anthropologists. Uh, but when, when the American Anthropological Association launched it, uh, it created a bit of friction in the, in the, let's say, the global community of anthropologists because people felt uh, not that they disagreed with the need of, of having a day where we would celebrate and, and bring anthropology to the attention of the world, uh, but the fact that this came out of the US was seen as, yeah, this is like the hegemonic power and we don't really like this idea that they are the ones presenting this. And so uh, it, it created uh, friction and the... The AAA became aware of that, and it's it's it is actually important to to mention that uh, when at that time, so this was before COVID, when mm -hmm. the American Anthropological Association came up with this idea at that time, uh, the AAA was quite an international association. More than twenty percent of its members back in those days were actually non-Americans, uh, right? And so this is also important. So it, so it was uh, in a way also catering to their members, which are not all Americans. Uh, but since it created uh, friction internationally, they decided to actually drop the global and then uh, call it sometimes National Anthropology Days and now more and more Anthropology Days. Right. Yeah, I think that's, that's a really important point that you make is that these Anthropologies Days um, is worth celebrating uh, in these different spaces on, on these different days. It would be, I think, interesting to see a more global reaching day. Um, of course, the, the best way of, of doing it, if, if it would be able to manage to, to tap into the UN agenda and have yeah, it recognized course. officially uh, by the UN as an anthropology day, that would, of course, be a, be a great thing. Right. And then we would be really be demonstrating, uh, demonstrating impact. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, that's really interesting. So with... Obviously, you're a, a prolific mobilities scholar um, within the field, really working 
within this uh, paradigm of, of mobilities. And I was thinking and reading around some of your work about place, mobile places and in-place mobilities, a recent special issue that you've put out in Mobilities, the journal. And I was thinking that how might maybe this movement and celebration of Anthropology Day in these different spatial and temporal landscapes be an example of mobilities? And, and maybe we sort of cover that a little bit in our discussion just now, but can you sort of expand on that? When we are thinking of, of anthropology, of course, uh, anthropology is and has always been very place-bound. I mean, if you think of the traditional way of doing anthropology was an anthropologist would go to a certain place and then spend there a lot of time and then go back and, and report about the findings. Nowadays, uh, the ways in which anthropologists are practiced uh, can go in all kinds of different directions. Uh, but it would be kind of an interesting thought experiment if we, would, if we could think of, of, of an anthropology without place uh, and how, how would that look like? Uh, because the whole discipline and all the methodologies that we have developed are very much anchored on this, on this being placed in base. Mm -hmm. And for people who are doing research on things that are moving, it becomes tricky. It becomes tricky also methodologically because how do you actually do that and how, how can you become grounded and do grounded research in, in contexts where influence. everything is moving and you yourself are moving too. Mm -hmm. And so uh, it, it, it becomes actually an, an interesting exercise. But your question was about uh, anthropology days and... and uh, Place and of course, uh, it would be very interesting if we would have uh, anthropology day at at a kind of a global level, and and that allows us to actually travel around and see how indeed in different places anthropology is done differently, has maybe different impacts, different issues, different challenges, uh, and so uh, it would be interesting to also uh, not only uh, be focused on how. We do anthropology where we are, but actually also become aware during those kind of days uh, how anthropology is done elsewhere and, and what we can learn from, from how things are being done differently. Right, a celebration of these anthropologies, these world anthropologies uh, that you had mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. So doing this anthropology of these mobile spaces or these mobile ideas, it's more than just a, a multi-sited anthropology. Of mobilities, You're, the multi-sidedness, the movement itself, is the object of analysis in a way. In in, in these mobilities, um, and the idea, while I was reading a lot of your work, uh, putting this place mobilities or in place mobilities and mobile places, I was thinking of the concept of of home, of how we often hear or or see in popular literature, uh, the home is where the heart is, or you know, home is where your family is, and thinking about home isn't just a physical location. It's, it's not the building, but it's, it's those relationships that are really built. Yes, and this becomes uh, very clear when you do research among uh, nomadic groups. Uh, not to say that nomadic groups don't have any place attachment. Uh, they also have, of course, uh, they are very much attached to the places through which they are, they are roaming. But there you, you can see very clearly that the concept of, of home is, is related to, to relations and to people. But of course, uh, these people are always embedded somewhere. Uh, so, right. uh, but maybe it's, 
it's not in one place, but it's in different places or it's in a set of places. Uh, and so um, there are also instances when, where people have uh, multiple homes. Uh, so it's not just one place where they feel at ease and they feel totally integrated, and, uh, but there are multiple places. Uh, and when I'm saying this, I'm, I'm thinking about uh, the ultra-rich of this world uh, that during COVID could actually manage to bypass a lot of uh, rules and, and travel restrictions because they were traveling home. The, the only caveat being, being that they had multiple homes. So they were always traveling home from right. one home to the other. In their, in their private jets, in their own little bubbles exactly, going from yeah. their, you know, yeah, their COVID home to their next home where they could self-isolate and, or, or be on a multi-million yes. dollar yacht. But the reason that we are uh, thinking about the place is, of course, because we have kind of uh, seen or treated home and house as synonyms. And of course, they are quite different. Right. Yeah. And it really makes me think of um, some of Keith Basso's work when he talks about wisdom sits in, in places mm -hmm. and this idea of uh, emplaced mobilities. Um, the, the, the groups of people that he works with and, and the ranchers are, are out there on, on the landscape and each place has a, a different story, a different meaning to them. And they're sort of at home in a, a larger geographical area, not just a particular, you know, one building, one site, house, home. Exactly. And just having come back from, from Australia, that it's by moving through places that, that uh, the places become meaningful and they tell a story. They tell a story that actually unites people and unites uh, the surroundings and, 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 and makes it all connected. And it's, it's, it's the movement that is also quite, quite important. And this is uh, very clear in a lot of indigenous traditions. It's by moving through places and with places, actually they would say that it actually becomes uh, very obvious that uh, things are connected. And so that it becomes a bit strange to then talk about we versus the environment. No, we are part of the environment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we move through the environment and with the environment. And that is part of our placemaking activities. It's part of our ability to move, to be mobile. Exactly. Yeah, not to put you on the spot, but for our Australian listeners uh, out there, you were just in Australia uh, doing a little bit of work, watching some of the tennis, the Australian Open. Uh, could you talk a little bit about that current work that you're doing? Well, the tennis was, uh, was an invitation. I was actually in, in Australia. I was invited by the city of uh, Melbourne uh, to actually explore the possibilities to, to also organize uh, conferences and big uh, international conferences of anthropology. But um, we were invited to the Australian Open and being an anthropologist also with an interest in, in sports, I actually uh, took the opportunity to observe quite a bit, talk to, to a big number of, of people. And it was very interesting to see how a city is actually using sports and sports events as a way to actually uh, create social cohesion and to actually create a city identity and i find that very interesting oh that's really fascinating so yeah uh all of you organizers out there uh thinking about anthropology days uh maybe give noel salazar a ring to close out our conversation today i want to ask you what are you currently working on uh and maybe what's the next big project in mobilities in sport endurance where are you going and uh 
Well, we have just finished a, uh, a big project on endurance walking and running, and I'm actually starting a new project. Uh, it's a, a big, complex project with many parts, and and it's very much related again to the body, but looking at ver- at it from from a very different uh, perspective. We are actually looking at uh, processes of of craft and and craft making, and how how that is actually. Uh, not valorized a lot and actually a lot of uh, professions and things that have to do with the body are kind of looked look down upon right uh, but at the same time um, people who are engaged in these practices like people who are engaged in in sports and in movement are very much aware of how 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 good it feels to actually uh, be doing things with with your body and so uh, through the lens of of looking at crafts and crafts making we want to get to this idea of how can we revalorize uh, this this kind of uh, elements that in in society are looked down upon because they have to do with you know with with manual labor and with your body oh that's really interesting yeah that's really timely too especially with uh, the rise of the ai well rise of artificial intelligence and different robots and things that are people are starting to get afraid of for their for their jobs their handicraft well if we can get ai and robots to do this you know what's uh what what am i to do am i just a a um a technician for the robots to keep society and everything running so looking at the valorization of uh handmade crafts and this type of bodily manual labor and activities i think it's really timely yes and to to link it with uh technology we were brainstorming with a group in in Australia, and one of the things that I was saying, uh, because indeed many people now are fixated on technology and also on mm-hmm. technological fixes for for all kind of of uh, problems, uh, and I was saying that uh, basically instead of of uh, constantly swiping on our our uh, device screens, uh, maybe we should develop a system also where where instead of of, of swiping the device, we are basically touching our 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 arm or, or at least have have a contact with our body mm-hmm. you know as a way to uh, link the technology with with other needs that we also have and and, and the fact that there's a lot of affection missing and, and a lot of people are at, are actually missing the fact that uh, they, they are not being touched enough uh, so so uh, see think of ways that we can actually also uh, combine technological advancement with 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 other needs that we have because we still have bodies i mean whether we like it or not we still have bodies and those bodies have needs and so how how can we combine those two of course yeah that interpersonal interconnection between the physical touch uh sensations smell sight um all of these all of these very human human needs are still uh they're still there or they're not going away anytime soon yeah Fantastic. Well, thank you, Noel, for uh, sitting down and chatting with me today about mobility's research and as well as anthropologies, days, plural, in both senses. Thank you, Sean. It was my pleasure. That was it. Me and Noel Salazar. 
Thank you all for listening. Today's episode was produced by all of us at The Familiar Strange. With support from the Australian Anthropological Association, the Australian National University College of Asia and the Pacific, and the College of Arts and Social Sciences. Produced in collaboration with the American Anthropological Association. Subscribe to the Familiar Strange podcast. You can find us on all the familiar places, including Spotify. And if you'd like to support us, please check us out on our Patreon page. Patreon.com slash The Familiar Strange. Not The Familiar Strangers, which is another fun podcast. That's just not ours. You can find the show notes, including a list of all the books and the papers mentioned today, plus our blog about anthropology's role in the world at thefamiliarstrange.com. If you want to contribute to a blog or have anything to say to me or the other hosts of this program, email us at submissions at thefamiliarstrange.com. And be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Music by Pete Dabro. Special thanks to Nick Ferrelli, Will Grant, Martin Pierce, and Maud Rowe, and all of the other familiar strangers. Our podcast executive producer is the wonderful Matthew Fung. Thanks for listening, and until next time, keep talking strange. <laughs>